0: Ladies and gentlemen, the house is now open. The house is now open. Thank you. You're listening to Unseen Theatrics with Clinton Kamak. Hello and welcome to today's edition. Liaising with creatives to create the sounds for their show. This can include sound effects or soundscapes that enhance the impact of what's happening on stage. To a full soundtrack for a dance piece... Today we are talking to a composer with twelve years' experience. Sasha is drawn into designing and creating sounds for theatre, dance, and art installations. Sasha's work has been heard internationally in Germany, Spain, and Belgium in the last few years. Hi, Sasha, and welcome to Unseen Theatrics podcast.
1: Hello, Clinton. How are you?
0: Yeah, not too bad. And yourself? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. So we'll get we'll get straight into it. As a composer, what are you responsible for? Basically, I mean it's it's a little bit
1: obvious. The first one is for creating the sound and music for various theater and dance pieces, or editing together, compiling if they're using other artists' work, putting it all together in a format that it can be played back and repeated. In a theatre setting, either via like you know QLab or ShowQ system, that kind of thing. Uh, liaising with the lighting guy if he needs the music and lights to be happening at the same time at any point. Mm-hmm. Basically hanging out in rehearsals, uh, revising as needed, like getting timings, etc. Although these days a lot of it is done via video online. To be honest, <laughs> I don't know if I really have to step foot into rehearsal rooms. Okay, yeah, and that's the general gist of it, I guess. Any recording needs and whatever they need, I generally take care of that too. Okay. I make
0: the noise. Yes, and it's uh, it's good noise as well. What do you find hardest about composing music? The actual
1: creating part of it
0: is the most difficult part
1: because, um, you know, uh, creativity is like this random tap that sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. This is mm-hmm. the way I visualize it at least. There's just some days where you'll sit there something will magically click in your head and you'll bust out you know 10 minutes of something that you absolutely go yeah that's gonna you know totally work and it does and you hear it in the space with the work and you go oh wow I'm great at my job and then you get the days where you sit there you spend all day you just banging your head you can't nut out anything and you look back on the day's work the following day and you turned out like 20 seconds of meh, you know what I mean? Um, Yeah. So it's a consistency thing. It's not, it's not one of those jobs where you can be consistently good at creating, like I can do all the technical stuff consistently, like just because there are certain processes. Yep in creating or designing so sort of like sound and score for a work the hardest part is being creative essentially which yeah. i guess most artists can relate to
0: yeah yeah so you, you mentioned it then where where do you get your inspiration from to compose these pieces of music i really wish i knew
1: it's just one of those random things um where i can sit there in a studio like in a dance work for example i'll just watch some of the phrases they're creating or just you know choreographing putting together and something in my head just kind of goes i i'm feeling this about it and i can come home and one of the most fulfilling thing is things is when i've imagined something in my head and then i can actually create it yes it's not something that happens very often to be honest yeah that's the most joyful part of it i guess but yeah, uh, most of the time, to be honest, it's me sitting here. I've had obviously creative discussions with the creative team prior to everything happening. Mm-hmm. So I have a conceptual idea of what the work is. Yeah, Me and the director or choreographer will talk about what sort of sounds. Yep. I quite often ask for reference tracks, you know, is there any artists or any songs or anything out there that you kind of, or films even, which give you, the sense of what you're
0: after that I can reference um, yeah that's some that's some cool stuff yeah your setup you said come back home and uh, start to churn out some stuff, so what is actually in your setup and you know software and technology that you use? I enjoy a desktop
1: I mean I have laptops to use yep I'm a little bit of that generation where I grew up with a desktop, so I really enjoy a desktop um, so I think the first thing that i need is a room that sounds okay that i can somewhat trust yep that's what i consider to be number one in a setup is you know if you're hearing things in a crap environment you're never going to get them right Mm -hmm. and there's always going to be inconsistencies in every room you can't help that it's more just getting used to the room right now my main sound card is a motu 828 mark 3 okay it's oh it's pushing a decade old now and it's starting to play up a bit so there's going to be a change soon probably okay i recently picked up a motu m2 it's one of their small little portable things yep mad props to motu they've done an excellent excellent affordable little unit here yep that's just a basic stereo out one it's no frills whatever but it's actually great i can't wait to start using... i i literally bought this a month before lockdown happened so i didn't yep. get to like, i use this on one gig and then we got shut down okay i also have a motu ultralight um, one of the smaller versions of my big guy, um, which is like a you know 10 in, 10 out kind of thing. I think it's 10 or 8, 10 or something. I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, yep. I have been using that predominantly in live scenarios, but I wanted to switch to something simpler because most of what I do these days is just a simple stereo out.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: that's definitely overkill, Yeah, but it is great for doing multiple outs and that
0: kind of thing.
1: Surround sound as well sometimes? I never really do 5.1. But I often do like a four-channel quadraphonic setup, if that makes sense, plus yep. subs. So it yep. is handy to have the multiple outputs and that kind of thing. Totally. Uh, so that's like the main part of it. I'm running out to, I've got two sets of monitors, which I um, trust and love. Uh, my main monitors are um, the Neumann KH120As. Okay. And then I've got a set of the original Atom Audio A7s, I guess I look at them like the Neumanns are the fun ones to work with. They're a really fun speaker. Like they're, yeah, they're really fun to work with. The Adams are super analytical and yeah, they tell you very quickly what's wrong with your mix. So I think I've got a nice flow between the two of them. Yeah. I've got a little bit of outboard, you know, a couple random pre's, um, some compressors, some EQs. Mm Mm-hmm. And then that's all funneling through my beloved custom-made ProHarmonix monitor controller, which is just a simple passive monitor controller with the volume button and imaging button where I can check the mono um, and phasing. Um, it's got a couple of different source options and then a couple of output options, with, you know, speakers A, speakers B. Yep. I do notice when I go straight out the sound card versus through wanted to control it, there is just something missing.
0: Um, mm-hmm. Do you have microphones for recording effects if that's needed?
1: Yeah, I have a stash of Stuff that I've bought over the years, I guess. I've got a few road mics. Like right now, I'm using the NT1A, yep. which is just one of those cheap, good Swiss Army knife, chuck it anywhere kind of mics. Yeah, I've got a couple of N- road NT3s. Um, they're the kind of bigger pencil mics that Rode brought yep. out years back. They're really great, and I think underappreciated. Like very few people talk or use them. They're a really great microphone. I've got a few mics from Bee's knees, who's a little um kind of family boutique microphone maker in, uh, I think, the north coast of New South Wales. Uh-huh. So I've got a couple of their Arabella GT tube mics. Yep. Oh, and I've got two of their little pencil Lulus that I love. They're fantastic little mics. Yep. I've got an Audio-Technica AT4040, which is a good Swiss knife kind of microphone, a little bit bright sometimes. Yep. The occasional Shure and whatnot here and there, you know, mm-hmm. uh, 57, 58. I've got a Hale mic, um, a Hail PR 20 I think it's called um which is a really small unknown brand which is fantastic like I love sticking that on guitar cabs um I think it's far superior to a a 57 that's for sure yeah and there's a few other various bits and pieces I've collected over time but that's the gist of my mics yeah when you buy one it's like I'm never letting you go I don't care
0: you just never know when you're gonna need it right so why throw it away and yeah and it's that thing
1: of um Certain sources just sound better with different. Like, I mean, everyone's voice is different. Like, sometimes you know, I'll chuck on one of the tube mics and it just won't sound good in a voice. And then I'll chuck on you know this cheap little NT one A, um, and this is gold. And the tube mic, which I paid like you know, sixteen hundred bucks for or something, just sounds like pus. And yeah. vice versa, you know, it's yeah. just one of those things that. But it's a bit like a painter with a cache of colours. You know, um, each mic has its own different flavour, its own different colour and yep. you just never know when you're going to need that in the mix, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. It's a nice uh, nice little range of microphones you got there. So that's a good little kit you've got. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying this week's episode. Join us next week as we talk to a production coordinator. Putting all the pieces together
1: and making the big picture. Every show is different, uh, which is part of the joy and also part
0: of the challenge. Part of the magic of theatre. I'm very visible and then I disappear Moving on, how do you how do you generally get work? Honestly, just word of mouth or yep. doing other work. But
1: um, honestly, it's just uh, people I work with repeatedly get me back in. Yep. People see stuff or hear I should say hear stuff that I've done Great. for shows. Yeah, things that I've created. Um, and they go, oh, I, I saw this show you did. I'd love to have you on board for my next project. Yep. Or like you know, um, if there's a function get along well with someone, and we're both kind of interested in each other's work, things stem from there, I guess. Okay,
0: yeah. Yeah, it's
1: just one of those things. It it flows. I don't force it. Yeah, probably should. But
0: Look, if you're happy with the amount of work you're getting, why force something?
1: (laughs) I feel awkward chasing work. It doesn't feel right to me. Yeah, yeah. I feel that I connect with people or I don't.
0: Yeah, that's right. And you want to be working with someone that you connect with, rather than clashing heads. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, you've mentioned a couple of the the markets that you you deal in theatre, dance, musicals, plays, and that kind of stuff. What what's probably your biggest market?
1: I would say a few years ago it was dance. Yeah, a lot more of what I do these days is for theatre. Okay, which is fine. Yep. And I totally enjoy what I do. Theatre's great, but usually I've, I have to recognise that the sound needs to be at the back of the work, if you know what I kind of mean, because mm-hmm. at the forefront needs to be the actors, they need to be heard. Yeah. Whereas with dance, you know, I can flick that volume switch and everyone's loving it <laughs> and no one's complaining, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so between dance and theater, they're my two kind of bread and butter.
0: Cool. So dance, it's obviously more of a, a soundtrack in theater. Is it a, is it a soundtrack or is it more sound effects and soundscapes?
1: It depends on the style of
0: theater. I
1: mean, if it is like full physical theater with very little dialogue and whatnot, or even dance theater in that kind of realm, um, you know, I can go a little bit more crazy with the sound. Um, yep. If it's more of a classic spoken dialogue kind of work, um, you'll often find that what I do is quite low in volume. Uh, it won't have too many kind of high peaks. You know, mm-hmm. it'll just be background noise essentially. Yeah. It needs to create the scene without yep. imposing. That's generally my view when I'm working with text-heavy theatre. Yeah. A lot of the time with theatre. I almost don't want people to notice the music, if that makes sense, or the sound. Yeah, you want it to
0: add but not uh,
1: impose. It's it's there to create the environment, yeah, often. Or there are obviously occasions where I can get a little musical and, you know, show off the sound. Yep. It, when I'm getting more technical about things, like some works literally are like, oh, telephone rings now, go. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I just source all the sound source or record all the sound effects that they need for their work.
0: Yep, do you normally uh record most of your own sound effects or do you go uh go online and, and source them that way? 50/50, really? Yeah. There are some great resources online, both
1: paid and unpaid, where you can find a lot of what you need straight there done well in a studio already anyway. Yep. And especially the paid stuff, like you, when you pay for it, you're licensed to use that wherever you want. It's a bit of a 50/50, but there are unique things um like I remember, there was this one work I did where they wanted the sound of water splashing in a bathtub, okay. and that's very specific. You know, you're n- generally not going to find that online. So, you know. yeah, I set up mics in my bathroom and I splashed water in a bathtub and we used it. Um, but something like you know a telephone ringing, yep. like for starters, I'm going to struggle to find that classic phone sound anyway. You know what I mean? If they want like a old kind of handheld phone, like I'm going to struggle to find that. And so I'd rather just jump online. You know, sometimes it'll cost like four or five bucks for a sound effect and, but I've got it. Yep.
0: And keep it on file for years to come.
1: Yep. I have one giant folder on one of my hard drives, SFX, and there's a bunch of stuff in there or.
0: Yep. Yep. Yeah. Fair enough. No, oh, that's cool. Talk to me about early conversations that you have with the creatives to start your creative juices going on. I mean, the concept is the first thing a rundown of
1: what the director or choreographer's idea is. Like I said earlier, if they have a bit of a reference, whether it's film or pre-existing work or something that I can access to get an idea, because sound is really difficult to speak about, you know, Um, if I said the words like, you know, a lovely textural ambience, like, if i said that to five different people you're going to get five different outcomes you know what i mean it's yes so if you can pinpoint kind of their flavor that they're aiming for and sometimes to be honest they don't have any idea they say and they're open about it they say i have no idea i brought you on board just to for you to do what you do i want to mm-hmm. see what you bring to it which is great yeah. too so it's a bit of both you know sometimes people are very specific about what they want sometimes people are more interested in what i can bring to a process um, which is great quite often there'll be like a secondary meeting, like as you're probably aware, like more of a production meeting style thing where um yep. we'll talk about what venue it is, what possibilities are there technology-wise. Like, you know, do we do something in surround? Do we keep it in stereo? Um, mm-hmm. Also, like I love hearing what like set designers or stage designers or lighting designers are planning as well. Yep, There's a few around in Adelaide that I work with quite often and, you know, he or she will bring... A set or stage design in, and I'll just see it and go, oh, wow, Like I want it to sound like this, just okay. purely based on their design, you know. Um, on their visuals. Yeah, and it's just that thing of just going with your gut quite often. Okay. It doesn't always work out, obviously. Just those sorts of conversations like what's everyone else up to? What are they seeing? Yep. Is anything anybody doing going to trigger me in some way? You know?
0: Yep. and uh, those sound set and uh, creative types, they're all on board as early as you are creating their stuff as well?
1: Before the rehearsal process, we'll generally have at least one or two production meetings. Just even if it's, like, the director, myself, the set designer and the lighting person. Okay. Yep. The production manager maybe, just to yep. have a, like, you know, a bit of a powwow about where everyone's at artistically mm-hmm. on the work. Yep. And often from there is where things start to snowball, you know.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you nearly touched on it when you – um uh mentioned about uh, describing sounds and, and, and how you'd get five different responses from five different people. What are some of the weirdest um, weirdest ways clients have tried to describe a sound that they want to?
1: Um,
0: I don't know if there's – nothing sticks out
1: yep. because we're all trying to communicate an idea. I get a lot of like whoops and wub and you know mouth noise kind of things, <laughs> okay. or oohs and like um or like bum bom or like people trying to beatbox some like a beat to me or something. Which actually, to be honest, like when some people start to like make the beat with their mouth, I'll record things like that. That's gold. That would be really helpful. Yeah. I mean, especially with someone with dance, sometimes I find like a choreographer will create a thing, but they'll do it in si- – and this happens quite often, actually. They'll create it in silence with just them clapping the timing out for the dancers sometimes. Okay, yep. And I will quite often figure out what BPM, you know, they've been doing that at yep. by, you know, doing just a quick little f- record on my phone mm-hmm. just so I can set BPM. So things like that. Like, I mean, people inform me without realizing that they're informing me, if you know what I mean. And all their crazy mouth noises are more than welcome.
0: Yep. They start start rehearsing. Do you spend much time in the rehearsal room with them? If it's a local show, yeah. Like I love
1: being in, in the rehearsal, you know, scenario with everyone. Like yeah, you, you can't replace it, if you know what I mean. Like mm-hmm. um, and generally if it is a show here in Adelaide, like I will try to be in the room two to three times a week and you know, working from home the other two three days a week. Yeah. You just can't be being inside that room with the creative team as a whole. Yeah, you just got to feel it to know what I mean. There was a time when I would be flown out to other cities to create work. Yep. Less so now, given that technology and, you know, internet is so much better um, and faster, people are more likely to, you know, spare that part of their budget in order, you know, to just, email me videos of the day's rehearsal with some notes,
0: you know? Um Yep. So how long between having those first meetings and that getting in the rehearsal room that you're giving the uh, creatives or client um some content to play back and get feedback on?
1: If I have time, I actually like to conjure up some random ideas prior to any rehearsals happening. Okay. To be honest, a lot of the time they never get used. And maybe just some elements or a cons- concept behind one of those ideas or whatever does get used. Mm-hmm. Occasionally they get used to, and or, you know, that's fine. Um, but I do feel like that helps me to nut out where I'm going to go with the sound for this particular work.
0: Right. So that's, uh, that's you sort of just narrowing down ideas or what they like and what they don't like.
1: Yeah. Just purely based on conversation and ideas that have been thrown around. Yep. And stuff does get used from it, but it depends on the process. You know, sometimes we talk about it months before we get started on it. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, right now I've been knocking out some ideas for a show, which where they won't start rehearsing till October this year. Okay. There's no harm in knocking out some ideas now. Um, And, you know, I've been sharing them with the the choreographer as well and, you know, she's been offering feedback. I just think, like, maybe what I make can also inspire them
0: from day one. And and help them in their creative process as well. Yeah. Obviously, if you've got a few months up your sleeve, you might as well use it. Yeah, cool. You're getting things out to the creatives and and they're hearing stuff. Are you making changes on a regular basis uh, and then, sort of what's their expected turnaround in hearing these changes? if you've got like if it's like the final
1: stage of development and then into um into production and it's one of those things where you've got three weeks to get it up and going, um, you just do there's no there's no point squabbling about time, to be honest.
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Yep. It can be like, a bit of a tense conversation sometimes like how critical is this you know if it's a day before we open and the director wants this whole 10 minute section changed it's massive work for you if i'm aware that it's massive and if it's untested that's my biggest fear i often they'll put very last minute requests in and my biggest fear is that we haven't rehearsed or tested it enough to know if it's going to work or not we'd already done opening night and it was our second show and um, they asked me if maybe I could tweak something for that second show. And I just thought, oh, they wanted me to make something quite different to what was already there. And I just yep. told them quite openly that I didn't feel comfortable doing it in that time frame, And they understood like, yep. you know, I wasn't trying to be a jackass about it it was just don't feel comfortable with, you know, in this critical moment.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I, I don't think I would either. And also thinking on the, the artist's behalf, if they're, uh, been rehearsing with a certain piece for so many weeks and then, you know, it changes overnight and they've got an audience in front of them and they haven't heard on a regular basis. That's that's very off putting to a performer.
1: And especially coming off, you know, the opening night buzz. Yes. You know, imagine I just couldn't imagine throwing that sort of change to the performers.
0: Yeah. So you've generally got the the full track or whatever else sussed before getting into the venue then?
1: Uh yeah. We've usually got it pretty well nodded out in rehearsals. To be honest, I mean, there's always going to be tweaks when you are in the venue and you hear it in the venue and,
0: oh, yeah. you know, yep.
1: Yep. maybe I've overcooked the bass or this is too much or too little, or you know. I'm um. Okay.
0: If you have any questions, contact me via the Unseen Theatrics Facebook page or at unseentheatrics at gmail.com. What software do you use to actually record with and edit your, uh, your, your tracks in?
1: I have a bit of a three-way thing happening and I have for a few years now. Okay. Um, So I use FL Studio for kind of content creation. It's fantastic for MIDI work, for experimenting, for beats especially, for creating whatever the hell I feel like. It's a very malleable bit of software. Pro Tools I love for recording. It's fantastic for recording. It's fantastic for mixing. Yep. So I'll often do all my recording and mixing inside Pro Tools. Yep. FL Studio isn't as good for recording. Uh, it's fine for mixing, but not to the level of detail that I think Pro Tools is. Okay. And then generally my final mixes will get a run in Adobe Audition, which... It's fantastic, I think, for mastering, for finalizing, for creating the last kind of, the last push for everything. You know what I mean? And editing the final version down. Yeah, like Adobe Audition is just really well designed for content of finalization. Yep. I generally like to mix in the software that I record in, so which is why I default to Pro Tools.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah, so they're my big three. Yep. Just for workflow and that kind of stuff. You don't you don't get lost with files flicking between FL Studio and Pro Tools and then into Adobe Audition. you don't lose track of where things are and what's the latest version? Oh no. I, I'm a bit of a file Nazi. Like I good I
1: love a good filing system. Yep. I always have. It's you know, I've got my working hard drive, I've got my storage hard drive, I've got my sound effects hard drive, you know, I've got my um VST plugins folders, like it's all uh, I'm very, I think I learned very quickly on that this can get very messy if you're not onto that sort of thing. And yeah, especially having multiple physical hard drives, I think is a good thing. It means that I can, if my system goes down, for example, like, I mean, this is computing 101, like mm-hmm. I can still pull out, you know, my storage hard drive and it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And then I can just plug it into any other system and then there it is again. Um, yep. so yeah, I'm, I'm probably a little bit too relaxed on backing up. I essentially lost about six months of projects that I'd recently worked on, which it's a bit of a bummer. But they were all finished gigs, so it wasn't yeah. critical. Okay, thankfully. Um. So yeah, I probably need to uh,
0: back up a little more after that. <laughs> yeah, right. Lesson learnt the hard way, unfortunately. Yep. Pretty much. Uh, you mentioned VSTs. Do you have um, which are which are plugins? Do you use Waves as well, or is it just? just VSTs.
1: Yeah. Um, Cause I've built a new system. I actually went through and culled my plugins list greatly because it's one of those things where you see a new plugin you want to try it. Rah, 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 yep. You just end up with this long ass option of, you know, like how many compressors do I really need? Well, you know, yep. h- how many like emulations of a 1176 do I need or something? You know, it's like, uh, just give me one. Um. <laughs> Yeah, but Waves are used for mixing stuff. Um, mixing plugins are gold, like, you know, and their emulations are quite good. Uh, the Sony Oxford stuff is great. That's really nice stuff. Some of their plugins, uh, Isotope I use quite often, like their plugins are great. Yeah. Plugin Alliance do some really nice, and this is all stuff for mixing, really. Mm-hmm. For making, I'm heavily invested in, like, the Native Instruments stuff, to be honest. Okay. Like Absinthe, Kontakt, battery to an extent massive contact in particular is really a really nice platform and something I usually use, especially because contact you can add third party plugins um, and instruments inside of it. Okay. Yep. So, you know, I have a collection of contact instruments from, you know, sample logic or HDO or uh, they create instruments that rely on the contact platform. Yep. And in fact, you don't even have to, from a lot of them, you don't even have to buy the full version of Contact. You can just get the free Contact player, as they call it, okay. and still use their instruments inside of it. But yeah, Contact's great for really interesting kind of instruments. Absinthe, I just feel, is just an amazing industry standard for, I guess, more abstract work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> battery, I don't use battery too much, to be honest because FL Studio is fantastic for making beats anyway. Yeah, Massive is great, especially for synthy sounds and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Isotope actually do Break Tweaker, which is a really interesting drum making and um, beat making tool. Yeah, that's really interesting. And the way that it's all mapped out and you can spread it across a keyboard. Um, I use that a lot, actually, when I'm making beats. Um, look, there's a bunch of stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've mentioned heaps. What would you say your three your three most valued plugins would be? What what are your go-to plugins?
1: Okay, on everything and anything that I make on the final version of it and sometimes I cheat it and put it on the master two, but um yep. is the Waves L two um maximizer. Uh the limiter, sorry, not maximizer, limiter. Yep. I just really love what that does. You can really limit and boost the kind of final version of your product without it squashing too much like you can definitely hear when you squash it too much obviously yeah but it's just a fantastic limiter and like i said it's on my master bus quite often Mm -hmm. even if it's not doing anything it's on there because um it's it's a great protector as well so if my mix is getting too loud or something it'll stop and i'll see that like oh hang on like I yep. shouldn't have any compression happening here, but I yep. am. I'm obviously mixing this way too loud. Yep. But as a final, as a final, final limiter, yep. that's, yeah, the L2 is my go to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's super simple. Like you've got, essentially, you've got two options to play with. Yep. Yeah. So that would be my number one go to. Um, for the sake of simplicity, I love the. Um, I'm going to go with all Waves apparently, but the Waves Renaissance um, EQ is, uh, I'm going to say EQ and Compressor at the same time yep. okay. <laughs> because they're both, this, they're both in the same kind of pool for me. Like if I'm going to be using one, I'm probably going to use the other one as well. Yep. Um, in fact, I could use the Waves Renaissance channel, which is literally a combination of the two, but for some reason it's just nicer to have them separated.
0: Okay. They're, they're just, a,
1: again, they're a really simple EQ and compressor um, that just does what it needs to do without getting too crazy about it. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Especially because I do tend to mix as I'm making as well. Um, I try not to use things that get too complicated because if I start, you know, looking at numbers and dealing with mixed stuff while I'm making, like, I will often distract myself from the actual making. You okay. know what I mean? Yep. So I need tools that will just do what they do. Okay. Um, yeah. The third one I kind of did. Uh, look, I'll go with, again, I'll stick with the Waves Renaissance kind of thing. There are Verb, the Reverb unit that comes okay. with yep. um the Renaissance pack. It's, yep. it's my go-to. It's on just about everything I make. It's a really... Straightforward reverb um, that you can go crazy with, but you can just you know scroll through some presets, adjust a little bit, um, and you're you know ninety percent of the way there. It's just one of those easy to use reverbs that sounds great too. Okay, they're I guess they're just like my Swiss Army knives. Like they're great. They do exactly what I need them to do, and that's why they're great. Yeah, but that's why you need them as well.
0: Totally, yeah. So, so during the creation process, you're keeping things generally pretty clean. I just want
1: to make, you know, yeah. I don't want to be, you know, I'm probably using more effects than mixing tools while yep. I'm making. Yeah.
0: Wow, I just got a uh, got a one hundred and one in uh, all the plugins that I need. <laughs> oh no, that's like two yeah. percent of them, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, three must get. We've covered off rehearsals and all the stuff sort of leading into the theatre. What happens on bump in? If you're if you're strictly the the composer uh, making the music, are you around for bump in? Do you talk with the, the the sound people or the house tech at the venue? What what what's, what does bump in uh, look like? Yeah,
1: for you? totally. Um, most projects. These days, I tend to operate as well. Um, For me, gone are the days when it was, you know, three or four very different roles within, you know, you'd have your composer, you'd have your sound designer, you'd have your sound operator, you'd have, you know, blah blah, your mixer and um, gone are those days, especially for me and the kind of uh, range of works that I work with. Um, So, yeah, I am usually there from day one. If I'm moving into a space that's already set, like the speakers are set and whatever, then, yep, super chill. I come in, I plug in, I set up, I start listening, I start adjusting. Um, yeah. Often, if it's a little bit more experimental or unique, or we're designing the space as we go, yep, I'm in there. We're sorting out the gear we need, we're bumping in the gear we need, we're setting up the speakers, testing speakers' positions, having a listen around. Um, I love creating like sound stages. Sometimes all I do with theatre is set up mics around the stage. If they've got like a, an amazing set where I can hide microphones around the place. Mm-hmm. Um, I love a sound stage for theatre sometimes. It just really, I don't know, it creates a filmic vibe, an amplified filmic vibe around the piece rather than just the dry performance. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. So you're just amplifying the noises that that the cast um, are making on stage through the PA system as well.
1: Yeah, and quite often it's at a low enough level that people might not even recognise it's being amplified. Yes, just that thing they feel, which I I love. It just creates an environment that's a little bit more, um, I'll say live, but it's a bit more to it than live. Like it's almost, yeah, it's just got a, certain vibrancy to it and mm-hmm. yeah I've often had people say to me oh I didn't even recognize that was miked and that's gold I love it you know it means mm-hmm. what I brought to it um it it's enhanced the show subliminally without the audience even realizing that yeah. that was a thing you know
0: yeah if you don't have to set up the system the system's kind of there left and right you know you know standard normal I say normal in apostrophes, um, theatre. When you first play something, what are you listening for? Uh,
1: I have a bunch of reference tracks that I've used for many years now. Yeah, The first thing, to be honest, is bass. I want to hear how much bass is in the room. Yep. Because I'm always conscious that because I work in a small room, Small rooms always, you know, at home, I mean, when I'm creating small rooms, it's really difficult to get bass right in yep. headphones. It's really difficult to get your bass right. Yep. Bass is really something that needs to be handled in a professional studio. So the first thing I'm conscious of, especially in a new room that I haven't worked with in before, is the bass. Yep. How it sounds with commercial mixes and my reference mixes, and where I've possibly gone wrong. I need to run home and fix ASAP. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs>
1: so the bass is the first thing, and how well rounded and even the bass is. It's yep. that thing of I want it as even as possible throughout the space. I can't be sitting, you know, in row four loving the bass and then in row seven hating the bass, and then you know, row nine can't hear the bass. You know, like so. Yep. I'm very conscious about and even spread, even um, and then yep. even coverage. Um, the mids obviously need to be comfortable, clear, sitting nicely, um, driving the show, which is what the mids, in my opinion, are you know, that's what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And then the highs, um, they're there to bring a bit of sparkle, a bit of magic. Okay, I am very conscious that I'm the kind of person possibly because my hearing's probably not so good anymore. I love to crank highs. If they're sounding really nice, I really love to crank my highs, but I know a lot of people don't like that. They're all like, <sighs> it just makes
0: people uncomfortable. I would have thought sometimes. Yeah.
1: But, uh, I don't know. A sparkling top end who doesn't love it, but okay. that could be me loving working in like studios kind of thing where you hear everything, you know, yep. um, in um in a theatre, yeah, usually, especially theatres here in Australia, most theatres are very um, soft in the sense that soft furnishings, soft acoustic treatment, um, so it's so, absorbed a lot. Yeah, the high end is absorbed a lot more. Yep. Um, and then volume-wise, I guess volume is the big one. I mean, it depends on the show, but I don't like high volume. I generally, err towards the sides of just sensible. Like I try to keep it sensible. My native impulse is to crank stuff Yep. but if it's just me often if I know there's loud bits in a show like I can't help but like and I'm operating I can't help but kind of look at maybe you know the older people or the young kids in the audience and see <laughs> what their reactions like, or, are yeah, yeah just see if like yeah if they're having a good time or not <laughs> yeah yeah I, I guess for me I, I want everyone to be having a good
0: time I don't want to just
1: you know go hey i love my you know i love stuff loud let's crank it like it's not
0: <sighs> yes no i've uh i've worked on a show where literally the sound guy came in and said point all speakers at me i need to hear everything and it like just the the audience didn't matter in his books much at all Ah, see nah that's trash like you need to walk through the space like
1: uh, i mean i i should probably i should have mentioned this in the bump in thing often the first thing i Want to do in a new space or even a space that i've worked in before is i'll pick like you know one of the middle rows one of the middle seats i'll sit down there with my laptop and sound card with yep. you know however many channels i need just you know two channels running up to the box
0: yeah
1: um and i will mix and level everything from that position and get up and walk around like i think that is one of the most vital things to do and it's such a no-brainer like you're making the sound for the people who are going to be sitting there
0: yeah I hope you're enjoying today's episode, and if you are, spread the word. Let everyone know about Unseen Theatrics, sharing education of live theatre. Just mentioned about sitting down with your sound card in the audience and mixing it. Is that like full uh, audio channels and you're sort of playing with like your original Pro Tools version? Or are you just playing with ups and downs in QLab or ShowQ system? Generally at that
1: point, I expect myself to have things mixed and mastered to a point where I can just do simple adjustments in the space. Yeah. Um, so it'll just be the final web files and I'll have them ready in my session, whether it's QLab or ShowQ, um, and I'll just be setting levels, hopefully. Yeah. If I do need to tweak it, I'll open it up. Usually, um, just if it's just a WAV file, I'll just open it up in Adobe Audition. It's so much easier and I don't need an iLock and I'll just give it a quick EQ in the space. I actually really love doing it. If I know it's a show that's only going to happen in that one space, like, yep, I will EQ that track for that space. It's when shows are going to multiple spaces or touring where you can't really, you know, oh, if you're mm. there for every show, yeah, sure, you can do it. If there are issues in the mix that I don't think I can fix at home, then yeah, I will open up the mix, yep. and it's usually mixed in Pro Tools or FL yep. Studio. If it's surround or quadraphonic or whatever, um, that's something a little bit different, and not something I can mix at home anyway. It, that has to be done in the space.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. You've done your mix. You're setting setting your volumes and that. After you've set a rough volume, you check with creatives and have a discussion with them about how, how it feels for them.
1: Yeah, so I'll generally set my own levels at yep. what I feel is comfortable. Um, but then obviously um, the director or choreographer will have their own feelings towards it. Um, and in plays where there is you know, spoken word, it is a little bit difficult and tricky for me to set stuff without... You know, I, basically, when I set it, I set it knowing full well that I might
0: need to drop it to allow the performance to come through. And that's the other thing as well. It, when audience gets in, they absorb a lot of a lot of sound as well. They do.
1: I don't rely on that. Like, if something is very washy and too bassy, like I'm not going to rely on the fact that the audience might absorb it. Yep. Like, I am conscious of that. That I will chew off a bit of yes the sound, but I'm still going to mix it. Like, I'm not going to use it as an excuse to not mix it properly. You know what I yep. mean? Like yeah. I'll yeah. Still, totally. Still, try get it to a point and usually to be honest on my mixing desk i'll have subs on a separate sub channel um that i can ride if i do feel something is getting absorbed a bit too much okay um and yeah uh so there are ways to counter that on the fly without having to completely remix (laughs) yeah
0: yeah cool all right do you get any feedback from anybody else while while in the theater yeah look
1: like if there's a good sound tech on board, yeah, like they'll give their opinion. And like, I value that completely because I often have to remind myself that like, I've listened to this stuff like weeks on end. Yep. And if it is one of those fast and furious processes, like my head probably isn't as analytical as it needs to be like, or as fresh as it needs to be. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that second fresh set of ears that you can trust. yeah, Letting you know that, Oh, I feel like it's a bit woofy in the midst, you know, like, great yeah thanks i'll have a look like you know Mm -hmm. like uh whereabouts do you mean do you want to have a little play like it's gold you know obviously whatever the director or choreographer wants goes yep as much as sometimes i don't like choices or
0: decisions they make like it's their show Mm -hmm. as a composer does much change during tech and dress runs in that once you've set your level like i can only imagine that it's kind of that's it, that's kind of done, and you sort of be around but not necessarily have to do a heck of a lot? Depends on the work.
1: Uh, works that are completely set, yeah, I'll learn the cues. Yeah. If, if I'm operating, that is. Um, I'll yep. learn the cues, I'll have everything with levels set. You know, processes are fluid, Um, sometimes, in a similar to what I was saying before, like, a director or a choreographer will watch their work three or four shows in, and because they've been so immersed in it for so long, they'll suddenly realise that, you know, this section needs to be trimmed a little bit or the mm-hmm. levels need to be brought up or down a bit or whatever or the performers are starting to sit into it and get used to it. And yeah, I'm totally open to the fact that shows are fluid.
0: Yep.
1: Um, and open to change, like it's not set and forget okay. by any means. But yeah. a lot of shows are just, you know, you get it together and bam, you're on. hmm Right. And then there's things like dance shows which are completely fluid in timing, like where they don't have set timing, if you know what I mean. Like you have to watch the performers and right. the performers aren't working to a beat or anything, you know. They're just doing what they need to do. And at this certain point, you know, like, you know, when Larry grabs Brad's hand here mm-hmm. on the floor and, you know, OP front, whatever, like yep.
0: you go the next track. You know what I mean? Like it's, yep.
1: or you bring in the next layer.
0: And how does that work with making the music? How much? how how do you know how much to make so you know that they're not going to run out of music in that particular section before going on to the next section? General rule of thumb is I ask the director for how much
1: they think they'll need and then I'll triple it. So if they think it's a 10 minute section, I'll put in about 25, 30 minutes of extra stuff in there because it really doesn't matter in this day and age how big the files are. Yep. And I would rather have just that Extra bit in case, you know, they're having that one particular show where they feel like indulging.
0: Okay. So then the the next question is how 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 do you make them flow from one track to the next if they're not necessarily going to be going at the same point in the track every night that it actually mixes and flows and works well together? Interesting mixed decisions. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, there are some like, for
1: example, I'm not gonna try and ever blend two different beats at two different BPMs together. Yep, Like it's just not gonna sound good. Like yep. I, I don't think I've ever heard anybody make that sound good. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just one of those things. You develop a sense of what will blend well and mix well and what won't and what you can afford to trail off. And it's just the magic of, you know, abstract sound, fade ins, fade outs, time, reverbs. Yeah. You just gotta create that space it's just something you learn how to do learn how to do yeah nice
0: yeah <laughs> yeah i can't explain it any other way other than like trial and error <laughs> no no that's right i'm just you know even with like even with the same same bpm about uh, beats per minute um like going from like a real wishy-washy track to like some heavy industrial thing just doesn't uh, doesn't gel in my head
1: yeah. Uh, I mean, there are ways to build into things like that though. Like if I was going from like a tranquil kind of mm-hmm. ambience into like a heavy industrial rah, 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 like I would figure out a way to do that.
0: Yeah. 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 And then that gives the dancers or actors transition time as well, I guess. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. Um,
1: and a lot of the stuff I work with isn't set in timing. You know what I mean? Like it's loose enough that it's a bit in that jazz way that I can introduce layers without totally deviating okay in an obvious in an obvious way, like it's more of a subliminal deviation. yeah, I don't get into the whole you know track track, 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 track vibe, yeah, I do like things kind of evolving, okay, having said that, like there is something nice about a trail out and then a new start as well, so whatever floats right,
0: yeah, yeah. If you're just making if you're just making the music you're you're done by show day
1: i, I will say will hope so yeah yeah so like there'll be a f- maybe a few final tweaks on show day, yeah and obviously everyone's a little bit on edge about things so you know or whatever, but
0: generally there's not too much to do on show day cool and apart from that story that you mentioned earlier about big tweaks after opening night it's generally left after opening performance
1: there's there'll generally be like a few level things that get adjusted over time yep if i'm operating like you know that's not a big deal at all like you know a couple db here or there yep if there's uh you know a few queue changes that's fine too like you know things become apparent in theater that didn't come apparent beforehand if you know what i mean um yep or if i'm not operating obviously you know I'll make the um the person operating know that there mm-hmm. could potentially be some changes.
0: Yep. Okay. Once the show's finished, do you have any post production
1: responsibilities? Uh, if I if if I did the setup and operate the show and whatever, I usually help bump out the sound stuff as well. Yep. There is often like a uh, a videoing of the work, in which case um I supply them with you know all the sound mm-hmm. if they want it. Yep. Um you know, sometimes they just record the sound live in the space and they're happy with that, which, uh, f- fair enough. I yep. probably think you should layer my stuff in, in there too. But mm-hmm. yeah, but essentially, I just hit documentation stage where, like, I'll wrap up everything in a nice file or folder and stick it up in a Dropbox or something like that for the future versions of the show. Yeah. Yeah. If it does have a future. Um, but yeah, I'm basically done after bump out.
0: Yeah, that's good. So you just mentioned uh, audio files and that. What kind of format do you generally give it to them in like WAVs, MP3? Like is it your standard?
1: 2448 WAV files. That's all I use generally. Yep. If I'm put into a process like I often am where I'm just, you know, putting other people's stuff together or coming onto a show that's already been like another sound person has already created if it's already mp3s and stuff i just leave it as is i'm not going yep. to make a big fuss mm-hmm. but no to me industry standard is 24 bit 48,000 kilohertz okay Web files all the way if i have full control but if it's pre-existing and there's yep. mp3s then sure let's go with the mp3s yep. because changing the mp3s isn't going to make them any better you know what i mean
0: mm-hmm. totally once it's an mp3 it's an mp3 absolutely
1: yeah mm
0: Final question, Mm -hmm. any tips or tricks that you could pass on? Without being too vague, just
1: recognize the fact that you're going to hate more of what you make than you're going to (laughs) like, and it's totally natural. Okay. And sometimes even what you feel like is a great idea, there's a certain buzz you get when you've just busted something out you know, like you finish mixing something and like 11 o'clock midnight that night, you're listening back going, oh yeah, I'm the best person in the world at my job. Mm-hmm. And then you fire it up the next day and you just realize that, you know, you're a piece of crap and what have you done? Yeah, it's you just have to get to understand yourself, be kind to yourself because when you listen to something so many times, you do naturally become bored with it. Mm-hmm. and i'm guilty of it when i get bored of things i just start chucking in extra stuff to try and reinvigorate my own interest in it and i realize that i've overdone it and then you know you have to recognize that most people are going to hear this once <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's know, right the audience will hear this once if you yep. put in 50 elements into 30 seconds they're not going to hear half of that you know mm-hmm. how about that i'll leave it at that um be polite to your sound guy if you are, you know, going into a venue with a pre-existing sound tech. Be yep. polite, even if you don't appreciate their work, be polite.
0: Yeah, and they, they know the venue better than you in most cases, so they're, they're going to help you if you're, uh, if you're nice to them. Yeah, and they've got probably like, you know, 20 shows coming up
1: and yours is just one of those and it's an in and out kind of deal for them and mm-hmm. that's totally fine and you need to recognize that your precious gem of the work or whatever the hell you've done isn't the most important thing to them yeah um, try be polite and don't yell at each other the amount of times i've sat in a bio box and watched one creative shouting down and another creative down on the ground um you know the director or the lighting person are having it off <laughs> it's like uh how about one of you comes up, one of you goes down and you have a mild discussion <laughs> it, it, about your yes, disagreement.
0: Not, not a discussion that everyone can hear. No,
1: because like, I don't want to be on either one of your sides. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That makes yeah. it, uh, that can get awkward. Yeah. I, I know I said that it was the last question, but is there is there anything else you want to say that I may have missed?
1: I, I guess we're in a like, it's really interesting. I've seen the kind of progress because I started off as a performer back when there was that traditional kind of, you know, music maker, yep. sound designer, sound operator kind of trio thing happening. Whereas nowadays you rarely see that, and with technology the way it is, and being multifaceted, and yeah, you end up doing all three in one hit, and it's kind of nice. Yeah, it is good to. Develop the skills from the making the studio and the live all in one because um, as I found out just a year ago they're different worlds and learning how to do live in particular is a different stream to doing studio or theater work
0: totally totally is thanks sasha for uh being a part of uh, unseen theatrics podcast for this week cheers dude thank you very much thanks for listening join me again next week as i chat with a production coordinator